Hello and welcome. You've tuned into the School of Ministry podcast. Paul is your Bible teacher today. Later you will be given information how to reach us. If you have questions you would like addressed, let us know. Feel free to contact us. Now enjoy the lesson. In James chapter 1, we're continuing our study in the book of James. I'd like to begin reading in verse 22 through verse 25. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. So we're talking about being doers of the word, doers of the work today. You know, there is a parallel passage in the book of Ezekiel in chapter 33, and you might just hold your place here in James 1. In Ezekiel chapter 33, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 30 through 33. So many times in the book of Ezekiel, and we went through this recently in our midweek study, looking at our Bible survey, going through the book of Ezekiel, and we see over and over it said something to the terms of that they may know that I am the Lord their God, or that they may know. And that's what we find here as well. Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 30. As for you, son of man, the children of your people are talking about you beside the walls and in the doors of the houses, and they speak to one another, everyone saying to his brother, Please come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. So they come to you as people do. They sit before you as my people, and they hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. Indeed, you are to them as a lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but they do not do them. And when this comes to pass, surely it will come. Then they will know that a prophet has been among them. Some harsh words for the children of Israel. They were going to hear and not do. But Jesus, and I want us to look at one more verse. We'll stay here for just a minute, then we'll get back to James chapter 1. John chapter 13, beginning in verse 17. We're just going to look at verse 17. And I hope that you'll notice the verbs in all of these. If you hear, if you're a doer of the word, deceive. Some of these different words, verbs, that speak of action. Look at John 13 verse 17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Simple passage. Simple passage, but it speaks volumes. Jesus had just washed the feet of the disciples. Judas is just about to go and betray Christ. And so right in the middle of this, Jesus says, What? If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. The door swings on ifs, doesn't it? The door, there's a double-sided, a double-swinging door. I prepared a message earlier this week for James, and I've got 18 pages of notes. Thank God the Lord got hold of me. 
And I don't have 18 pages of notes before me. You'll say, Amen, thank you, Lord. You may not. <laughs> because Jesus said, Happy are you if you do them. And I came to the place where I recognized that every time Jesus spoke, you did not need a dictionary to understand him. Sometimes when I speak, you're good. What is he saying? Why is he giving me all of this Greek and this and that? Jesus spoke very succinctly, very simply, and oftentimes... His words recorded in the Gospels are the simplest words that he could have used, monosyllables, and he used them and he just gives it and lays it out for us so that we can simply understand what he's saying. If you know these things, there's the intellect, there's the head. If you know these things, happy are you or blessed are you. There's the emotions, the heart. If you do them, there's the will. You see, he takes in all of the personality. That's the hands of it. So we have the head, the heart, and the hands. All right here. Right in, our, in a one simple passage. Now, he doesn't say, if you know these things, happy are you. That's not what he's saying. He does not say, happy are you if you know these things. Because we have a lot of folks who would be very happy in this day and age. And we're living in a time when there's been such an unprecedented call upon mental health because people are not happy. By the way, our congregations have been well taught, well trained, and if we only needed Bible knowledge to be happy, then we'd be just overjoyed. That's not what Jesus said. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. We have an amazing amount of Bible knowledge. I'm just so amazed how I can just look at my phone or my computer, type something in, and there comes up the answer. So you never thought that Google or Siri or Alexa was a Bible scholar, but it will lead you to certain things. It will give you so much Bible knowledge. There's so much Bible knowledge around, it's so easily accessible, but most people are not happy. And Jesus did not come to make us happy. Jesus did not come into this world to make us happy, but to make us holy. He came to change lives. He came for a great purpose. And people will come out to hear some preacher that wants to make you happy. They'll come out to hear somebody who just has that holy grin. But to hear that we need to do something. People don't want to hear that message. Oh, everybody wants to go another way when they say, wait a minute, you mean I've got to do something? Everybody's interested in feeling better. And the happiness that Jesus brought, He's not talking about some slushy, sentimental happiness. He's talking about a real joy here. A true joy. He's talking about something that's not happiness. And I'll just say H-A-P-P-N-E-N. N-E-S-S, -S. I get it right. It's not what happens to you. He's talking about a true joy that's deep within. And it's not one that depends on what happens. Jesus did not say, if you know these things, happy are you. He did say, these things I have spoken unto you, that your joy might, be, might remain in you, that my joy might be in you, if you do these things. So there's something we have to do. But Jesus was also a man of sorrows, acquainted with griefs. 
It's a deep and abiding joy that Jesus gives. It's something that this world cannot understand. It's a joy. The early Christians, we find that they had it. When you read through the book of Acts, I'm amazed at the brethren that were always in trouble. And they were in trouble for godliness. Let me just add that. They were in trouble for preaching the gospel. And oftentimes they were being thrown in prison. I call Peter a three-striker because three times he got thrown in and they'd have kept him in California. But you see, over and over he preached the gospel. What about Paul preaching the gospel and is thrown into a prison cell and he's sitting there and what does he say? Rejoice in the Lord always. He's, he's able to cry out and say, you've got to just rejoice in the Lord. And he does that from a prison cell. And in case we forget it, he says, and again I say rejoice. He wants you to remember something that's deep and abiding. Those early Christians, they, they were radiant, they were victorious, they were triumphant in their joy. Because people saw that it wasn't just something that was passing. It was a true life that had been changed. I don't find that much today. Yet we know more and more and around the churches today, we need revival, we need joy, we need that true joy. Revival is a resurgent of Christian joy. It's a resurgent. David said, even in his sin, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. He wanted that joy once again. Philip, in the book of Acts, in chapter 8, you see that Philip goes over into Samaria because there had been great persecution. You see in Acts chapter 8 verse 1. There had been great persecution. And so what happens? It sends the people out everywhere. And they're preaching the gospel. And Philip goes to that ancient city of Samaria. It used to be the, northern, the capital of the old northern Israel. The northern kingdom. All those people were dead in their trespasses and sin. There was no great revival going on until they heard the Word of God and they listened to it. And an evangelistic meeting, people got saved and their lives were changed. And it says, then there was great joy in that city. Verse 8. Why? Because they listened and they obeyed the Word of God. After the resurrection of Jesus, then the disciples were glad... What? When they saw the Lord. Here's an emphasis around seeing the Lord. Do you see the Lord working in your life? Do you know there is a God consciousness? You see, that's out of style today. We don't want to be talking about God. Obedience is out of style today. We don't want to talk about we're going to bring our lives into line with the Word of God. Nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to hear that kind of a message today. You know, it's kind of like the word lost. How long has it been since I've heard somebody say, pray for my son, pray for my daughter, they're lost. They're on their way to a devil's hell. How long has it been since you've heard? You know, it used to be in our churches we had a mourner's bench so people could come and pray for their lost loved ones. And how many times have you heard testimony of someone that got up and they said, my mother prayed for me, my father prayed for me for years, and now I've heard the word. There used to be that mourner's bench that we would pray for our lost loved ones. Now they say, well, he's really a good boy, really not a bad child. 
But that's not what the Bible said. Jesus said that I have come to seek and to save the lost. People are either lost or they're saved. There's no two ways about it. There was an old preacher by the name of Mordecai Ham. And he preached a very famous sermon after the Titanic sunk. Titanic sitting down in what, some 12,000 feet below the surface of water. They've gone down and they've looked for the treasures. They've tried to bring it up. But in the sinking, it was one thing that the Titanic, it said that this is unsinkable. And the only thing that it ever did was to sink. <laughs> the only way we remember the Titanic today is because it sank. And Mordecai Ham used to say, well, God was teaching man a lesson. That a plain hunk of ice could take down man's greatest engineering feat. And he says... There that God told man that you're not as smart as you think you are. 1,500 souls and the list were either saved or lost. 1,500 souls were lost. You see, I think we've got to get back to some biblical ideas. I think we've got to get back and just call it what the Bible says. You are either a child of God and you're saved and you're on God's side, or you're a child of the devil and you are lost and doomed to an eternal hell. You're either saved or you're lost, and that's all that there is to it. Now, there was a, a man, a preacher. He was raised under a Presbyterian father, clergy, Charles Finney. And he was raised up and he became a lawyer. And he had a great mind. And he began to preach and to teach. And he always looked for a verdict. That's what he said. He always wanted to see a verdict. And God used him in a great way. As a matter of fact, he sure shook up the Presbyterians. They didn't like him much because he said he didn't agree with old Calvin's ideas that you were either predestined to be lost or saved. He said every man must make a decision. Every man is able to respond. He is responsible. He is responsible. And Charles Finney said, Whereas mind and conscience may assent to the truth, when revival comes, obedience to the truth is the one thing that matters. Obedience to the truth. Obedience isn't preached much because it doesn't bring in a big crowd today. Obedience to the truth is what God is looking for, however. You see, a revival is nothing less than a new beginning of obedience to God. When we get it, and by the way, that's what James chapter 1 is telling us. We'll just go back there. But be ye doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You see, it's a serious thing to go to church. It's very serious. I've heard lots of people years in recite this verse. But be doers of the Word and not hearers only. And they put a period there. But it's no period there deceiving yourselves. See, it goes on. He's saying... Otherwise, we're deceiving. That's why I say going to church is a serious thing. There's a privilege. There's a responsibility. There's a penalty if we don't listen. That self-deception, if you don't do it. That's what he's telling us here. There are two great problems in this world. Either not going to church or going to church and not doing anything about what you hear. That's what we read about in Ezekiel, isn't it? They wanted to hear the fancy words. They wanted to hear, they said, oh, he was like a great singer or some great instrumentalist. But they did not do 
the Word of God. They did not follow and listen. That's why James tells us the same thing. Be doers of the Word, not hearers only. Don't be deceived. Don't deceive yourselves. So there's a great obligation. The obligation is that we hear and do. I read this morning that we're just one generation from Christianity being lost. If we don't teach our children, if we don't teach our loved ones, if we're not taking the gospel to the world, we're just one generation and we're barely hanging on now, aren't we? We must be ready to do what needs to be done. We need to be hearing and doing. The grievous sin of our day is hearing and not doing. And that means James says that we are deceiving ourselves if we think that all we've got to do is send money out to missions. If we're just going to support missions, and I'm all for supporting missions, but if we don't go on our doorstep, if we're not going out to our neighbors, if we're not talking to our loved ones and our families, then we're deceiving ourselves. We're not doing mission work. We're not leading others. That's what kills a church when they no longer are mission-minded, when they're no longer looking at the doorstep, when they're no longer looking to see the needs of the people around in our city and in our state and in our country and then also in our world. You know, in James chapter 4, verse 17, James says much the same thing. He says, if you know to do good and you do it not, to him it is sin. It's that plain. Today, we can go to movies, we can watch TV, and sometimes we become TV drunkards. It's a getaway. We escape. Don't want to deal with it. And it's unfortunate that I'm seeing young preachers today, well, they say, well, God's called me, but I've got a good job. I can't go right now. I can't do what God's called me to do right now. And I can tell them what a good job and retirement. If that's what you're looking for, come and ask me. I'll tell you where that'll lead. If God has called you to preach the Word, then get out there and trust God and do it and be obedient because I'll tell you, after 18 years in prison, exactly what will happen if you disobey God. Oh, let me tell you right now, you've got to be listening and it is better to obey. I remember old brother Monroe Patterson. <laughs> I pastored him in his later years. And he pastored his entire life. Oh, Brother Monroe, he went here and there. He worked all over California. Was a missionary for years. He died without owning a home. He drove an old car. But he was obedient. He was obedient to the calling of God. He wanted to do it. Nowadays we have religious drunkards. We have TV drunkards. We have religious drunkards. They're on every Facebook page. They want to listen to every single preacher. And I, am, I hope that you're listening, but I hope that you're going to do it. Every YouTube preacher, they go to every place to get all this word. They go to every conference they can, but they do not do the word of God. You've got to do it. That's what James is calling us today. Be doers of the Word. Don't deceive yourselves. Do it. I remember I began to teach what God wanted of every father. I began to teach what God was impressing and, and showing me, and I began to teach that to the Clovis Church. And you know what? I taught them for some time, and finally they just said, and they were honest, we don't want to hear it. We're not going to do it. You better go your own way, preacher. Amen. They were honest. <laughs> they said, we don't want to hear it. We don't want to do that. 
Hearts are thrilled, but nothing moves you to act. Nothing moves you to do what God's... There's a holy stirring of the Holy Spirit of God's truth today. And I'd rather play with high voltage electricity than to mess with the Holy Spirit when He's trying to work, when He's trying to do something, when He is working, and rather than to play with God's convictions, rather than to play with God's Word. By the way, you know the Word of God is called dunamos. Dynamite. We get our word dynamite. The Word of God is called a hammer. It's called a fire. It's called a sword. And all of these are disturbing. Have you ever been somewhere and somebody's just hammering away? (laughs) Just boom, boom, boom. The sword, fire. Do not get into the ranks of just being a spectator Christian. I heard one guy say that there was a day and age of spectators <laughs> Spectoritis. Thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed the message. We trust you've been encouraged, challenged, or generally built up spiritually. If this lesson has sparked questions on this or other topics, please see our contact information in the description or email us at sclofministry at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.